We're recording. Take two. <laughs> Take two, three, seven, five. I don't know. <laughs> we tried this so many times. Being only the uh, second time we've done a podcast and trying to get all the audio and you know headphones and everything working the way it's supposed to be was a pain in the butt. But hey. Please, please accept our apologies for the practice, technical difficulties. Yeah, practice makes perfect. So welcome to the uh, rebranded CBFR podcast. Correct. That's a uh, craft brew film review. Anyone who's been with us since the very first one will uh, know that we originally were thinking film for thought. We recorded a whole episode, uh, the first episode of this series listed as film for thought, and mm-hmm. found out that there's another podcast called Film for Thought. <laughs> yeah, don't don't want to get sued. <laughs> All right, so. We uh, changed it to uh, the Craft Brew Film Review, because, I mean, that's what we do. We, we talk about some craft brews, because, mm-hmm. you know, you like beer a lot, I and do. would probably prefer if I liked it, too, so that's why you want to try to find beer that I like. Uh, but we both love movies, so, do. yeah. Um, do you want to jump into the beer you brought? Uh, sure, if, if you want to. Let's go for it. Uh, I believe that one is yours. Oh, okay. So this is a this is from Bell's. This is their uh, Two-Hearted IPA. It's one of the more popular IPAs in the country. Okay. Uh, Bell's started in 1983 as a homebrew shop in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, they started producing their own beer in 1985, um, and they're distributed to 42 states and nine territories. So they're they're kind of a big one. Okay. Um, I've actually never heard of Bell's. This this is their their most popular seller um, by far, and it's it's one of my favorites. It's a go to. I typically always have this at the house. I have it for sporting events. You know, all kinds. It's it's a good all around beer. Um, the style is an American IPA. So last week or uh, last last podcast, we did a pale ale mm-hmm. from Sierra Nevada. Um, which was originally an English style, and IPAs kind of morphed out of that style. So IPA stands for India Pale Ale. And I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> I knew that. Um, how it got its name was um, when the, the, the style first started or was kind of created, um, India was a British territory, and they would ship pale ales to India what they would do is load it up with way more hops for so that it would survive the travel, resulting in the new style. Okay. Um, this one is a 7% alcohol, um, and it's, it, like I said, it's a very standard American IPA. Nothing too crazy, just even keel straight. It's got a fish on it, too. It does. So just so everyone oh, at home Oh, I forgot can about the, the popping. <laughs> Okay, so the point of this is the fact that, you know, my friend here, Tony, is uh, very much like the idea of getting a a beer that I will enjoy. I've historically not liked any beer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm much more of a cocktail man. I don't Um, know if, like, I'm trying to um, find something that, uh, I I don't know if you're going to like this, but it's it's worth a shot to kind of gauge where your tastes are. Hey, and, and and sometimes I I know you're probably just going to show up with stuff that you know I'm going to hate just for shits and grins. You know, one of these days I'm going to bring one just as a surprise that that has some stuff in it that you're just you may spit up on camera, and that'll be entirely worth it. Just make sure I have a bucket when you bring those. <laughs> yes, there will be a bucket. All right, but cheers. Ooh, ooh, 
Ah. Yeah, not a fan of that one. <laughs> <laughs> but not being a beer man, I mean, I, I, I feel like the IPAs are usually like, these are going to be beery beers. Well, so uh, when... I mean, I have to finish it. I'm forced to finish the you, whole can. You don't but... have to if you don't no, no. want to. Any of them that I can survive finishing, I'll okay. go ahead and make sure I finish. But if okay. it's one that comes back out, nope. It's 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 more, it's bitter because of just the more hops that they use. Um, Maybe I won't finish it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I'll finish that one. Um, like I said, this is one of my, it's my favorite style. Um, IPAs you can find anywhere. Uh, tons of breweries are doing them. Oh wait, I already put some in there. No, I didn't. Is that liquor? That may be ice or just water. Yeah, that's just melted water. Now it's time to actually pour a drink. I know I'll finish. <laughs> but no, um, it's not your favorite, and that's okay. So yeah. now I know going forward that you're probably not gonna like the <laughs> the hoppy varieties. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like you guys usually go for like some IPAs and stuff because it yep. just seems like the 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 beer man's beer, which is fine. I, I tried, and that's okay. You <laughs> tried it. That's the important thing. So we like to break into just starting with a beer because you know Tony's gonna be drinking the beer for the entire podcast. Uh, but the big part of why we're here is to talk about movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, specifically, we like to go back through the Oscars, uh, since they started in 1928 mm -hmm. and talk about the Oscar winner for that year. Uh, and, uh, we each get to pick one movie from some of the runner ups, uh, other nominees and, uh, kind of talk about those movies as well figure out whether we think the Oscar winner is right or not. We also, for the same year, the Oscars happened, we go through the top box office earners for that year. And we will talk about the movie that, you know, made the most money. And we each get to pick one of the other moves that were like the top five or ten for that year. Discuss those. Uh, and then at the end, we're going to talk about whether we think the Oscars, the Oscar winner was the better movie. Or, you know, the uh, box office winner where people actually went and spent their money was the better movie. Uh, so we've already done the Oscars. Yes. Today, we're doing the box office for 1928. Correct. Do you want to start with the movie that you picked, which was, uh, I believe, Four Sons? Yes, that was uh, Four Sons, uh, directed by um, legendary John Ford. Um, it was one of the few surviving silent pictures that he did. Um, if I remember correctly, he directed something in the lines of 30 to 40 films between... 1917 to 1928 most of them are gone they're just lost which is something we're going to come across the more in this 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 podcast trying to find the older movies mm -hmm. yeah um the so the premise starts with a family in bavaria um miss uh miss burley if, if i recall her name burley burl um burnell burl Burn, I think it's B-E-R-N-L-E. Bernal. Mother Bernal. Um, she has four sons, hence the name of the movie. Um, two of them are enlisted men. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the movie starts with, like, you know, just life in this little Bavarian, you know, village, smallish type town. Um, her son, Joseph, 
gets a um, job offer to move to America. Big deal at the time. She gives him money to go, um, so he moves away. And then World War One heats up, and the third son is drafted or conscripted into the military. Um, there was a lot of similarities between like this and uh, Saving Private Ryan, where um, I don't I don't know do we do we want to do full spoilers on this one. I mean, we're going to be talking about the movies, um, and we mentioned in the last podcast the ones we're talking about, so I mean, the idea is potentially people have already watched them, so I would say talk about anything you want to talk okay. about. Um, so the so the war heats up, um, Germany's involved, obviously. The third son is conscripted. <laughs> Germany's uh, involved. Yeah, Germany's obviously. involved. <laughs> um, but no, so the third son is conscripted to fight for the German army. Um the fourth See, were son. they but were two of them enlisted though? Like I knew one of them was shown as a soldier, but then another one was like shown like almost like delivering stuff in a it wagon. It was a hay, the hay bale thing, yeah. Yeah. Um, um and then there was like what else? There was like a blacksmith and something else. Was it the blacksmith? I may have I may have missed that part. I apologize. Yeah, well, no worries. I uh, I mean maybe he wasn't enlisted uh, and also a blacksmith. Uh, I don't ultimately know. they all, they were enlisted. Mm-hmm. Um and the fourth son, Joseph, in America, enlists for the American army. So you have them fighting on both sides. It was kind of an um, allegory to like the U.S. Civil War type of yeah. thing. Um, three of the German brothers are killed in action. Um, Joseph survives, um, goes back to America. And there was an a, um, interesting kind of thing where... Um, the mother, once they found out that her other son was fighting for the Americans, kind of shunned her and didn't want to talk to her. And yeah, um, there was a really neat shot that really grabbed my attention. Like mm-hmm. this, this, um, this was after most of this had happened. Was uh, they showed the mother sitting down at her dinner table, and they had like the oh, double like exposure with thing. like the ghosts of her sons. Yeah. I thought that was a fantastic, fantastic uh, sequence. Yeah, no, like, I, I actually wrote something on about that one as well, um, in regards to that. But, no, keep going. Um, I, I have tons of thoughts that I'll be bringing up. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, so, the, uh, it, she sends, or Joseph sends a letter to his mother saying, hey, come live with me in America. And it, it the whole movie kind of progressed really quickly mm-hmm. from that point. Like, there's a letter and now everybody likes her again because they were, you know, seeing her off on the train and, you know, wishing her well and all that other stuff. And then she shows up at Ellis Island and they try to keep her there overnight for observation so she could take her immigration test. Mm-hmm. And then she just wanders off of Ellis Island and somehow ends up in New York City. Mm-hmm. For She's a great swimmer. <sighs> <sighs> Yeah, at a 90-year-old woman. <laughs> um, but she's lost in New York, and then the police randomly finds this guy named Joseph's house that mm-hmm. happens to be the one she's looking for. Yet somehow understood when she was speaking German that she was looking for her son, Joseph. Yeah. I That, it was how, it's like, ah, we gotta wrap this movie up. Who cares? Logic yeah. goes out the window. Um, yeah. That, that was, that... 
I'll get to that. <laughs> uh, aside from that part, I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, like I said, there was there was a lot of neat shots. The sets were really nice. Um, John Ford also had a wonderful eye for for different shots and, mm-hmm. and different sequences because he's this was early on in his career. So what's some other stuff that he's done that maybe I would know? Um, he worked with John Wayne a lot. Um, he did, and I've seen like no John yeah. Wayne films. That's probably why I yeah. like you say the he, name, he, and I'm he, like. He, um, there was one that he did in 1956 called The Searchers with mm-hmm. John Wayne. Excellent film. Uh, the Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. I've heard of that one, but I've that never was, seen That's it. another John Ford movie. Okay. Um, he actually won the Academy Award for Best Director four times in his career. Um, he passed in, I want to say 1971, hmm. I think. But he has a very, very long career. Yeah, no, on, so, <laughs> I'm going to go back to scene one on this. Okay. <laughs> what I, <laughs> I wrote this down, I just had to. The entire movie opens on a man with an epic mustache. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Literally just, like, reveal, on the guy just, like, yeah, he's, with he, he, he huge, just huge, like, it. spun mustache, yeah, yeah. and it's, it's the mailman, but I was just like, whoa, I was, like, huge, and he's, like, constantly just grabbing it and twisting. I that, that, that was, was an epic stash, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then it, like, it goes to, like, you're in a bar, and this I just thought was strange. It just randomly had this fat guy walk up to these two guys playing chess, lifts up his gut, sets it on the table, and then starts talking to him. Yeah. I, I don't know what... I mean, was it supposed to be, like, a comedic effect? Or? I don't know, because he does that several times throughout the movie. He just walks up, sets his gut on something. It's like, I almost think, like... Either the, I would assume not the writer, but maybe the director, you know, maybe John Ford just thinks fat people are funny. I don't, I mean, we're, we're trying, we're like trying to figure out creative license from a hundred years ago. Yes, yes, yeah. I, I don't know if that's what was meant or if that's just what happened and mm-hmm. he decided to keep it. I don't know if the actor was like, hey, I'm going to, and you know, I'm going to do this thing. I, I, it, that I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what direction to take it or what yeah. even to think about it. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that was just like me puzzled on. Maybe he just thinks fat people are I don't know. But, like, so it, it goes to that bar because, like, the postman was delivering something. Mm-hmm. And then I thought it was funny that they, they thank the postman with a beer. They just hand him, you know, a beer. Like, essentially, like, you know, thanks for delivering the mail. Here's a beer. And this fat guy is just, like, walking around. and It's, it's Bavaria. I mean, in German culture beer is a very very big thing and, and that makes sense it's just like i was trying to like equate it to us i'm like i don't even know my you know male delivery person let alone walk out and handing them a beer every time they drop something off well i mean if, if you got an old school type town maybe mm-hmm. um can't really get away with it when they're driving the little mail cars around but <laughs> probably not no i mean it's not unheard of to leave like you know cold drinks out for delivery drivers in the summer gatorade water what have you um, maybe it's just the same type of thing, but I mean, this was in 19, this would have been 1914. Yeah. Um, different culture, different time here. Have a beer friend. Awesome. Yeah, I guess. Um, you were speaking of interesting shots. So at the very beginning of the movie, when it shows mother, uh, Bernal, mm-hmm. um, the way it introduced the sons, she's like putting away laundry and she like puts laundry into like one but, drawer yes. and shows the name. Yes. And then it kind of like, you know, blends over and like uh, transitions over to that son and, you know, mm-hmm. whatever he's doing. And it does that with each drawer. And I mean, in today's film, I'd be like, I think that would be silly. 
but in a day when there's they were all uh, silent films, mm-hmm. uh, it almost made a strange kind of sense uh, because you couldn't have dialogue help to really introduce you to the people. Right. So using that little transition from all the drawers that had the the child's name on it with their clothes in it, I thought was kind of interesting. That that was a neat. Yeah, I I agree. Um, and to to kind of harp or um, head or bring up an idea we talked about. Um, in the last podcast for silent movies, because they don't have audio, um, they tend to over-exaggerate their, um, like they tend to over-emote just to kind of, yeah. dri- you know, drive home what the emotion was. And in that scene, like they would show like Joseph's name and she's, you know, he would, um, they would fade to whatever he was doing, um, and then fade back to the mother. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she had like this, like. <sighs> kind of look on her face, you know, like <laughs> that was weird, but I, I tried to let that go. Cause like, I get it. Like, I mean, she's, she's thinking about her son and it's like, Oh, I love him so much. And, and, you yeah. know, progress on down the, the laundry list. Yeah. But I, I, I try to take that with the, the, with the, the grain of salt is like, you know, when this was made and why it was done. Right. But I'm also looking at it as like, her sons live with her every day. So every day that she puts the lay of the laundry, does she stare at the name and just go, ah, like on every single one of them? Like she sees them every day. Like that didn't make sense logically, but for what they're doing, because it's a silent film, I was right. like, I get it. Yeah, it's I get just, it. It's the over remote, over remote <laughs> of, ah, uh, she obviously loves her son. So maybe she does do it every day. Yeah, um, actually, <laughs> there was like a, a fight at one point, uh, which I think was actually in the bar, if I recall. Um, but I just remember there was like this, again, it's silent film, and it's kind of rushed, and there's like only so many frames per second. But there was like this fake slap, there's like, and it goes like, and kind mm-hmm. of falls over, and the person like didn't even touch them, and I, just, yeah. I, I was laughing at that. But <laughs> It's professional stunt work. Yeah, and then uh, it was Joseph that went to America, right? Yes. Yeah. He was talking about, you know, how he got a letter and he's being invited to go live in America. <laughs> I, I may get flagged for this, but one of the lines was, he's like, everyone's equal in America. And I just went, bullshit, at the screen. <laughs> I was like, that's not even remotely true, but, you well, know. Well, I mean, you're looking at it through the lens of someone who's grown up in Bavaria. Yeah. And they have, like, this, you know, uh, rose-colored glass type of thing of like what you know what life in america is Mm -hmm. um you know they're you know one of the premier nations in the world everybody has money everybody's equal everything's great not the case (laughs) but that's that's what their you know perception would have been yeah no no i i I got that i just i just thought it was funny that i yelled at the tv i was like bullshit that's not true (laughs) um and then like so Obviously, Joseph wants to go to live in America, and mm-hmm. as you said, like, you know, the mother actually gives uh, money to him yep. so that she can go to America, uh, or so it's Joseph, rather, can go to America, and then I guess it was her birthday at the same time, and, like, the whole village throws this, like, huge birthday party for her with, like, a parade and everything. I don't... Was that part of for her, specifically, that, or did I, it just Because everyone was coming to up be... to her saying happy birthday, so unless it was just in happening at the same time... I thought that was like, I want the whole village to throw me a birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that I, I I never actually made that connection that the parade was specifically for her. Hmm. Well, I mean, maybe it wasn't. It just 
everyone was saying happy birthday and then they step outside and there's a huge party so i just connected the two like everyone's celebrating her birthday I, it, and then it's her birthday and kids come up and she's like giving cake to the kids yes and i'm like but it's your birthday you're supposed to get cake nah, give it to the kids yeah um everybody likes kids so <laughs> uh i thought this was interesting as well so obviously i know the anyone who's on film is gonna have makeup on because mm-hmm. you know they're being filmed and the way they're lit and everything but my god did they overdo the soldier's mascara he uh, was yeah, like yeah. like oh my god it was so thick around his eyes that i i honestly wasn't paying attention to what happened at that point it was just like super they they thick did mascara. that a lot in in any all of these movies like um one of the ones that we're we're going to talk about uh here in a bit was um they did the same thing. Like, they laid on the mascara pretty thick. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's... I've not noticed that in any other films, though. Like, I know they have, like, makeup stuff on. Yeah. But it was just... They they hired an amateur doing the mascara on this one. It wasn't like somebody who's been doing makeup for a while. I, Maybe I he put it on himself. I don't know. I don't know, like, what they're trying to convey with that, aside from that it makes their eyes easier to see. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there was, like, an ulterior motive of, like, trying to make the you know, German soldier look awful or evil or something like that. I, I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Not sure on that. Um, but yeah, I just, I, <laughs> I noticed it so bad that I was like, I'm writing that down. <laughs> um, but no, I, I agree. Like the story was moving along at a, a very, fairly good pace to start out with. And mm-hmm. it, it was the blacksmith and the soldier who, uh, got sent to war. Um, and, I, I thought it was funny. So, like, they, they go off, um, the story's moving along, and then something that caught me that I don't even think about nowadays because, you know, this is 100 years later and, you know, we have stuff here. Mm-hmm. Ice delivery. Oh, yeah. So, Joseph was now living in America, uh, and his, you know, the war was happening, and he wasn't part of it at the time because America I, it wasn't in the war yet, or maybe he just hadn't been drafted yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he opened a deli. Mm-hmm. And like this guy walks in with a huge chunk of ice delivering it. And I was like, that threw me for a loop. Cause I'm like, I wouldn't even, I, I don't think about that nowadays. Cause it's just, you know, I've got it downstairs in my kitchen. Mm-hmm. It's, it just, there, there's something that popped out of me is like clearly a different time. Yeah. The, I mean, there are still, um, old ice delivery or ice delivery warehouses downtown mm-hmm. and it'll say like ice delivery company or something like that. in big, big letters on the side of the brick. Um, they they wouldn't have had like home, you know, refrigeration for what thirty years, forty yeah. years. Um, yeah, they. I mean, milk deliveries, ice deliveries, all all kinds of stuff was was just brought from the central type of warehouses. Yeah, and I mean, it makes sense. Like, I I, I get it that they didn't have like you know fridges and everything mm-hmm. like in your house necessarily back then. But it's just one of those modern conveniences you don't think about. And so yeah. it really stuck out to me when I saw it in a movie. And I was like, yeah, when this movie was, you know, made, that would have been a thing. Yeah, Especially a thing, when it's yeah. portraying, like, the time period as well. I was just like, that was that was crazy. Uh, it also took me a, a minute to figure out this wasn't portraying World War Two; It was portraying World War I. Because I. Yes. I was like, wait a minute, this is 1920s when it was made. World War Two hadn't happened yet. <laughs> But I was, I was like almost like a hundred years in the future, so I'm just like, oh, World War Two. I'm like, no, wait a minute, no, no, this is World War One. <laughs> the uh, spikes on the German helmet didn't give that away. I, 
I, I don't necessarily know like how they looked, but I was like, there was no like swastika anywhere and everything. Right. But it, it wasn't until I thought about it. I was like, there's no swastika. And I'm like, by the time this movie was made, that hadn't even happened yet. Right. So it, it took me a minute to, I, 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 hey, I'm stupid sometimes. It's no, it's fine. <laughs> um, does it matter that I can't read my own handwriting? Oh, <laughs> so speaking of the mailman. So, you know, she is getting, uh, as her boys are out there, you know, uh, in the, in the war, you know, for the side of Germany, mm-hmm. uh, and one of them dies, you know, she, the mailman brings her a letter that has like this black outline around it, essentially saying, Hey, your boy's dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> this was a weird time to have this thought, but this town doesn't get much mail. I never see him carrying a mail bag full of mail. It's always one single letter. Until you mentioned that, I never actually caught that. <laughs> but maybe it's just a plot device. And, I mean, I, may, I would have to assume. Because, I mean, it seemed like it was a pretty decent-sized village. I'd have to assume that there would be other letters aside from this one family. <laughs> that or, like, he, he was a little heavy set. Maybe he's trying to get his steps in. Maybe. So he delivers one piece of mail, walks all the way back to the post office, get one piece of mail. <laughs> that would be incredibly inefficient. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, you got to get your exercise where you can. I might have your letter sometime by next Thursday. <laughs> Maybe. There's, like, this huge backlog. <laughs> Like, uh, this letter, yeah, we received it six years ago. There's I just haven't had a chance to deliver it. <laughs> it's a treasure trove of information. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, I couldn't help but notice that. <laughs> I'm sure nobody wants to hear me chewing ice. <laughs> Those ASMR freaks might. I don't know. <laughs> That's really, really weird. <laughs> oh, God. But anyways, yeah. No, so yeah, moving along. I, I'm curious if like the director even thought of that, or if it's just like I, I get nitpicky sometimes with movies where I just something sticks out to me like that, and I'm just like, "You're delivering mail, dude. You should have a mail bag, not just one single piece of mail." Maybe he made a special trip just for her. May, every single time, because he I see he carries mail like probably five times or so throughout the movies. And there's always one single letter, and also I don't know what the rules are. For mail delivery in other countries a hundred years ago, but he always seemed to know what was in the letter. I think that dude is back at the post office opening <laughs> shit, he's, reading, he's reading it, and then carrying it to them. Oh, what's this? Uh, he's like, I'm just curious. Oh, oh, this is a bad one. Oh, I gotta carry it over. I mean, he he always knew it was in the letter based on his mood carrying it. Yeah, that that's um, I I strongly disagree. <laughs> like, I mean. <laughs> That's the only way that would make sense, and I hate it. Because <laughs> I'm mean, like, okay, even if you want to say, <coughs> oh, excuse me, even if you want to say that the letters that were the, you know, your kids died had that black outline uh, on the edge of the envelope, and maybe that always is on an envelope when somebody's died. Okay, cool. But every other letter he carried, it was like, oh, Joseph from America sending something. He knew it was something happy. Yeah, that's no, that I I didn't actually think about that until you mentioned it, <laughs> and I hate it. <laughs> like I I'm I would assume that the you know privacy of letters would would be the same, but if he's just reading everybody's stuff, why is he the postman? Why mm-hmm. isn't he in jail? <laughs> <laughs> so actually, forgot to mention something. So at the beginning of the movie. Um, 
before the whole war breaks out uh, from the kids getting drafted, that German, like, commander, I don't know what his... Commandant. Uh, okay. Uh, he, like, shows up, and he's, like, in the village, right? Right. And at one point, he actually slaps Joseph. I Yeah, yeah. And there was an interesting callback to that later on when he's at his deli, and I can't remember if he's, like, reading a letter, if it just popped in the head or what, but he's just sitting there thinking at his deli, and all of a sudden, this hand reaches out and goes, like that, and he's, like, recalling uh, the the slap. Uh-huh. Like, it was, like, this fake ghost arm slap that he got hit. And was there was some, some neat, like, double negatives that they did. Yeah. In, in this particular film, which I, which I I thought were cool, but that was around the time uh, or double exposure. Sorry, his uh, two brothers were dead too. Mm-hmm. So I can't remember if it was actually that he got called uh, if he knew that because his brothers were dead part of the the war or not. But I thought that was an interesting shot because that happened like not too far before he got drafted and had to go. Uh, and by that point, he was married. Yep. Uh, he had a kid. Yep. Uh, and he suddenly had to go off to war and leave his, you know, wife to take care of the business. Mm-hmm. And while he was there, well, actually, first of all, right before he walks out, the Iceman's teeth. Like, I couldn't tell if he was wearing fake teeth because it was just the front like a horse and nothing behind it. And so every time he smiled and they stuck way out. Um, and I'm not trying to, like, shame anybody for, you know, any kind of disfigurement you have. But it almost looked like he was wearing fake teeth. May have been. I don't know. Just random side note. I was just like, I don't know why the, the I, Iceman I, would I have had know. like fake I mean, horse teeth. Because they just seemed to stick out farther than his mouth actually should have gone. But anyway, I, that I, has nothing to do with him. I just <laughs> thought it was funny. Just an observation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he goes off to, to war. And at that point, like you said, like the commandant or whatever mm-hmm. had come to uh, the mother's house uh, and she had already lost two boys and the other boy I'm assuming was too young to go to war at that point uh, but yeah she's get, he's given the mother all kinds of like grief that her son uh, is fighting for America now yeah and he's like I want to know what's going on and what he's told you and all this stuff and she's like I've not even talked to him and he's like not to mention I've had two sons die. For this country and for, you know, your guys' war that you have going on. Um, so it was just interesting to see, like, obviously her losing all her sons. But at that point, yeah. I think uh, right at the end, that the third son suddenly gets drafted, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and he has to go off to war. And it was after that that she had that ghost sons at the table thing you yeah, mentioned. Yeah, again, I thought that was a really <clears throat> cool, really neat sequence. Yeah, um, no, I, I I totally agree that it was it was interesting the way they did that. Like she hadn't heard, she knew two were dead, the other one I think was fighting, and uh, the youngest one hadn't actually died yet. And then uh, Joseph was fighting for America now, but during like it didn't show much war at all, right? Uh, and the brief moment it did kind of go to something. There was a bunch of like dead bodies on the field and people dying after like there was a you know kind of a shootout, mm-hmm. well shootout, but you know what I mean uh, between the the two sides. And Joseph's like crawling through the bodies and just randomly stumbles across his younger brother dying in the field. The the chances of that are impossible. Yeah, <clears throat> like the the battlefields of World War One were a complete. Um, I, it's in, I can't even begin to comprehend how horrible it was. 
and the fact that he just randomly comes across his brother, I, I'm not buying it. I get it from a story angle. Yeah. But that's no. No way no way would that ever happen. Yeah, and he like gave a little water to him and then he just like died in his arms. Yeah. And then the other Americans are like, Come on, let's go and you know, rush off. But I was like the fact that he just randomly stumbled across his brother, I was just like, Fucking seriously? No. No, that that would have never like again, I get it from a story angle. But there's there's no way that that would have actually happened. No, not a chance. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And then at that point, it's like right after that happened, it's like the war is over. Yay. You know, we're all done. <laughs> and so before I even get to the rest of this film, I had huge problems with that uh, because when we initially kind of read what this movie was about, mm-hmm. and you would pick this as your one to look at for the box office mm-hmm. from the description. I was expecting to uh, see the conflict there in the sense that, like, you know, we have multiple brothers here. One moved off to America, and then World War One broke out. These ones are drafted to the German army, and how he became an American citizen so quick, I, I don't know, because I, I assume the citizen requirements were much more lax back then, because uh, nowadays it seems to take for fucking ever. Uh, but, but he <laughs> became an American citizen, so he got drafted to the American army. And to me... The film should have touched on that. Not just like, oh, this mother and her sons are dying. And that's it. To me, I'm like, the fact that they would have to meet on the battlefield and knowing that, you know, you're my brother, I love you, we're family, but we're on opposite sides of something and I have to fight you. And then also potentially the resentment from the brothers mm-hmm. that are fighting against the one that took off to America. And it's like... You know, you're fighting against the, what do the Germans call it, the fatherland. Um, You're fighting against where you came from and killing people from your homeland. Mm -hmm. And just the the mental struggle of dealing with, you betrayed us because you're fighting for America, but you're also my brother. I love you. I don't want to hurt you. That should have been the movie. So it's, the, the main character of this was the mother. And everything was kind of told through from from that that angle. Yeah. Um, had they had they gone with the creative choice of doing that, I yeah. I, I mean that you you would get more of that conflict, more mm-hmm. of that um, uh, like you had mentioned, brother versus brother type of thing. Um, you you do see that a lot. I I don't. I'm not a hundred percent familiar with movies around that. Maybe it was, maybe there were a bunch of other movies that did something similar and he wanted to do just focus on how this all affected the mother. I'm just speculating. Potentially. I looked at it as during that time, would you ever want to have a movie showing that Germany is right? No, I felt like that was more it where instead of showing a German character that's fighting for Germany in world war one as someone who's human and dealing with these emotions and potentially having a point to the fact that, Hey, you're fighting against where you came from. There's no way they would have, I feel let that into a film, no, but they, that they, is a much more interesting film rather than a mother who, Hey, my sons went to war and I don't even get to see them on film die or why they died. I just randomly get this letter this from letter a fat from... mailman with a cool mustache, <laughs> but nothing that like, they, it's just her losing her sons. Randomly. They, they don't do that now. Like you won't see a film where like there's a, a, a humanizing story about Germany in world war two or, um, the uh, 
Afghanistan uh, from more recently. You won't you won't see stories like that. Just I'm sure they exist if I hunted. But I was even if like the idea of just German so like like when you said when you were when you're saying like you won't see stories like that, I was thinking like from the criminals' point of view. But I was like, we have those all the time. But then you mentioned Germany because instantly the Departed popped in my head. But they, they there was one. Um, series that Clint Eastwood did maybe 10 years ago. The two sides of the, like, what was it, the Iwo Jima thing? Yeah, or yeah. yeah. Uh, um, <clears throat> Flags, uh, Flags of Our Fathers? Or Letters from My Father? Something like that. Um, and or um, Yeah, Flags of My Father and Letters from Iwo Jima. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, so it was those two. That's the only time that I recall at least a major picture showing something from the opposite side of whatever war rather than from the american perspective yeah because i personally hate the idea and <laughs> right, this is going to sound wrong and then i'll clarify i personally hate the idea when a movie is just like america's always right and they're the bad guys and mm. i'm like it's it's not so black and white there are layers of gray in between now i'm not saying anyone who like is committing genocide is right they're not <laughs> But I mean, the idea of like the soldier following orders, th there's levels of gray there that I think you can play with uh, in a film that you can humanize that character without saying that they're a horrible, horrible, horrible person just because. Now, there's also the element of like just using the argument, I'm following orders, but I'm killing this, you know, family who did nothing like, you know, but if you're also weighing the into that story like if i don't do this they're gonna kill me right. so it's like almost like i'm horrible for doing this but i fear for my life if i don't so that creates a layered story that almost you can understand the the difficulty of that decision mm -hmm. it's it, it's just not something uh, with with how um i, I don't want to use the word it, it, i'm just looking at this from like 2023 right mm -hmm. um with how hypersensitive people have sort of become on, on certain topics. I, I don't see anyone touching anything even remotely close to that. Yeah. I, I like layered stories that humanize I, things I, I agree. and show all the different perspectives. So maybe I'm on the, the minority of that. <laughs> no, I, 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 like, I would like to see stories like that because, like you said, you get more of an interesting conflict and yeah. um, you get different viewpoints and things like that. But it's just... It's, it's too... Uh, depending on what you're doing, it can be way too much of a, a hot button issue or um, one person misinterprets what you're trying to do and then yeah. completely derails everything. Yeah. You definitely got to play it the right way to get it to show off. But yeah. that, that's just what stuck out to me. It's just like, I thought this story is going to be more about that difficulty of having to fight a loved one who's on the other side of a war. Right. So, Sorry, I got to get my drinky drinks. Um, it's all good. But then, <laughs> so what threw me is, so the war's over. All three of her sons that fought for Germany are all dead. Mm -hmm. Joseph's living in America. So that was another issue. I was like, fight for Germany and you just die for no reason. In America, you get to live out your dreams. I'm like, come on. But again, again, taking this as to when it was made and what it was, I'll let that part go. <laughs> But what was hard to let go was the fact that Joseph never even thought about the idea of contacting his mother, uh, especially after everything that happened with the war, until his son was like, I want to know my grandma. 
And he's like, oh, shit, that's a good idea. I should probably, like, <laughs> go see how she's doing, you oh, know? Oh, God, I forgot. I was, like, I was like, I know at least one of my brothers died. I watched him die, but then I never thought to ask her how she's feeling. Yeah, I again, this was part of the whole, like, I felt the the movie was an hour 30-something. Something like that, yeah. Um, and the last 20 minutes felt incredibly rushed. Um to like like that i it, i don't know was that just an oversight or something like oh i should check on my mother <laughs> yeah just like seriously i, I can't I, I got nothing i honestly have no idea why that like oh shit <laughs> yeah well i mean to me i i agree and i disagree with the the end of the movie being rushed i agree with it being rushed because they just rush to the finish line but i disagree in the sense that i'm like i felt like none of that needed to be there um to me i'm like the letter gets sent to your mother to bring her to america and then just cut to her being in america credits that whole thing with uh her immigrating just felt out of place mm-hmm. like it had nothing to do with it the did, rest yeah. of the movie and i also wrote this down i was like so in order to immigrate to America during that time, you didn't need to speak the language. You just needed to know the ABCs. I, Nothing I, else. I don't know. I, I don't know enough about how the process went at Ellis Island around that time to comment. So I can't. Yeah, like I tried looking up stuff and I couldn't quite find anything about it. Uh, but I feel like there had to be more than criteria, more criteria than just like walk in the door, say your A to Z. You're a citizen. Good day. I, I know that an incredible amount of people came through Ellis Island. Yes. And it, again, I, I'm just guessing. I may be entirely off base. I may be entirely wrong. But that may have been something where they instituted that to keep the line moving, as it were, trying to get people through. Because there were, like I said, there's an incredible amount of people that immigrated through Ellis Island. Yeah. I would um, love to get more information on that. That would be worth uh, looking up, yeah. Because, like I said, I tried to look up a little of it after I finished the movie uh, to try to understand a little bit more of how that worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I, I know immigration like requirements are way more strict than they were oh, back yeah. then, um, to the point that maybe they're like too strict. Um, but it just seemed weird that all you had to do is know your ABCs. And to me, I'm like, you don't have to have anything else. As long as you can recite A, B, C, D, E, F, all the way to Z, Mm -hmm. whether you knew what they meant or not. American citizen. I, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, Again, I, 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 I'm woefully ignorant when it comes to that, that particular topic. So I wouldn't be able to say if that's even remotely accurate or not. Well, I'm, my guess is maybe. (laughs) (laughs) but i mean like so grandma got sent to school just so she could learn her abcs yes and then she got to ellis island and she got like halfway through them and then like kept missing this one letter like even during school like she was missing this one letter and like a little girl came up and like kind of whispered the letter and then she got through the rest of it Mm -hmm. uh and so yeah to your point like she couldn't get through abcs and so she wasn't allowed to ellis island and her like son showed up, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we're you know holding her overnight." Uh, and then he went back home with his family, and she suddenly just ended up in New York. 
I didn't. I didn't. She like just escaped. Like like did she like hitch a ride, a stowaway on a boat? Because I, I, I mean, Ellis Island is an island. I think she's just a powerful swimmer. That's that's what I'm thinking. I I know <laughs> she she was on the 1919 Olympic team. The, the only like actually she this had takes place have, in 1914. Yeah. She was in the 1902 Olympic team. <laughs> she had to stow away. That's the only logical. Yeah, you would think. But was she on the same boat that that he was? Because like they showed like the family like clearing out, and then she just kind of wanders in, and then it cuts or fades to black. And then they, he's on the phone, like, oh, we lost your mom. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean you lost my mom? <laughs> and then she's on a subway, like, somewhere in New York. I, I just, the, the boat angle has, that, that's the yeah. only, only thing. But then, like, they're out searching for her, and she somehow just gets delivered to the house. Because they come back home and find her sitting in a room holding her grandson as he's sleeping in her arms and just rocking him. Yes, but keep in mind, that kid had no idea who she was. Yeah. I'm just going to let this weird old woman in my front door and then fall asleep on her lap while my parents are gone. Mm -hmm. That's like everything that I've ever been taught to never do. (laughs) (laughs) Stranger danger apparently didn't become a thing until decades later. (laughs) No, no, no. I I get they were wanting a, a happy ending. Because every movie had to have a happy ending, right? Yeah. But it's still... As much as I respect John Ford's career, the ending of this movie was offensive to my intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I don't... Offensive I don't, to my intelligence. I don't want to trash... Like, like I said, he's, he's a legendary film director. But just the last 30 minutes of this, 20 to 30 minutes, it was offensive yeah. And to me. Like, That's what I'm saying. Like, you could have dropped that whole sequence of her going to school and trying to learn her ABCs and the whole Ellis Island thing. Just the letter gets sent that, hey, I'm having you come to America. And then cut to her in America with her family credits. That, that would have been fine. You cut out that whole Ellis Island section, uh, Ellis Island section, and that would have been it. Uh, that would have been just fine. But again, all of these things that were like, like I, this I can suspend my belief to a point. That was way over the line. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I totally agree. And like, but my problem is like, even if, even if you cut that whole sequence, and it's just everything else before it, and she's now in America, I would still say that this movie had so many problems mm-hmm. uh just for the fact that i think the story was all wrong uh and i'm not a big fan of uh what i would consider propaganda films and i feel like this was because if you fight for germany you die if you fight for america you come out unscathed and have a thriving business because when he came back from the war his wife had turned their small little deli into like this super upscale right. restaurant with like a line out the door. One thing to keep in mind for for that is back in those days, they did Hollywood did have a censorship board where if you made something and didn't get their go ahead, you didn't make your movie. Yeah, no, I I get that. I know there's been a lot of films that had to do what they're told because of stuff like that, and so I. I I guess I do have to take that into account. And it's not like I like, you know, 
anti-America. It's just it's it's any kind of film like that doesn't doesn't play reality well, and it's more just putting something up on a pedestal, whether it's you know um, you know nationalism type stuff or anything else. Like it, it it doesn't matter what it is. It's just like I have a hard time when it's not taking reality mm-hmm. and really getting into the the drama of what would happen versus just sensationalism. Yeah, it it's it's it, again we're we're trying to look at this. Yeah, a hundred years later, a hundred years later, through, yeah. through those lenses. Um, but like I said, there's without like the censorship, like um, the the news was censored around yeah. those times. Mo- films were censored. Um, you couldn't do anything that wasn't like pro-American. Um, yeah, it's, that's just how it was. So I mean, that's that's why all of those movies are like you know, go America. Everything's going to be great if you're America. In America. Fuck yeah. <laughs> But that's that's why. Yeah. It was for that reason. No, I, I get it. But it's, it's still not going to make me forgive the faults of the film for right. that. It makes me understand them, not so much forgive them. Because I think if this film was made today with those things in mind, um, whether it's World War One, World War Two, whatever, either way, brothers fighting on opposite sides of a war you could make this such an engaging film mm-hmm. that it's, really makes you question like what would you do in that scenario i don't think of um uh, that is a very compelling question um i don't know any examples off the top of my head of something like that um i suppose you could if if it were um maybe like say Korea or like the Korean war, something like that. But I, I don't know of any film examples off the top yeah. of my head with that. subject. long matter. story short, four sons needs to be remade today. <laughs> uh, maybe it's just two sons. Cause two of the sons that died just seemed like cannon fodder for no reason. But with the idea of actually dealing with that, the son migrates to America. Then the war happens. They're both drafted opposite sides and actually show them in the trenches and what happens when they meet face to face on opposite sides of this war? Like to me, that's such a compelling film. It it, it could be done if done right. If, if you if you screw it up, doesn't matter how good the, it sounds on paper. If you screw it up, yeah. you screw it up. But I think that'd be a great film to watch. I I I mean, overall, I enjoyed the movie. Um, was would there be some things that I I would have done differently? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I did enjoy it. Yeah, I think this is one of those films where I just I walked in with a, an idea of what it was going might to be. be. Yeah, and it wasn't, and it became a letdown because of that. Um, and even if, even getting past my idea of what it would be, if they had just shown more of the actual war part, to me it almost seemed like the war had nothing to do with the film because, like you, it was your son went off to war. Oh, now he's dead. This one went off to war. Oh, now he's dead. Yeah, it, it's... Like, it doesn't actually show anything as what's happening. It was a plot device. Yeah. Which, I mean, considering the gravity of that, might have um, downplayed the whole significance of the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't... I, I'm... Uh, it's kind of tough to do. Yeah. To turn that whole tragedy into a plot device for a movie. Where it's just, oh, and, and now they're dead. Yeah. But they don't actually like. I, I mean, I get it from 
going back to what I mentioned earlier, they're they're focusing on the mom. And that's like kind of we're looking at everything through her lens. Um you could make the argument that they didn't show a whole lot of the war because she may not have known about any of it. Yeah. But they did show that one little snippet. But they also showed her son in America doing stuff. So if it's right. just from the mother's perspective, none then, of that yeah. should have been there either. No, just just running through it. I, I don't yeah. know. Well, long story short, like obviously you said you I did. liked it. Um, it's not that I disliked it. I was just disappointed with the image I had in my head beforehand. Yeah. But Makes sense. I get it. So that's Four Sons, directed by John Ford. Uh, starred uh, James Hall as Joseph. Uh, Margaret Mann as Mother Bernal. <laughs> Francis Bernal. X. Bushman Jr. as Franz. June Collier as Annabelle, which I believe was uh, Joseph's wife. Yes. George Meeker as Andreas. And Charles Morton as Johan. Johan. Yeah. So. All right. Moving on to what my pick was from the box office draw to talk about. Street Angel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, still 1928. Uh, takes place in Naples. Uh, directed by Frank Borzag. <laughs> um, or Borzage. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Uh, and then it has uh, Janet Gaynor as Angela. And Charles Farnell as Gino. Um, so, so if, if I recall correctly, so for this movie, this was actually one of three movies that Janet Gaynor won Best Actress oh yeah? for that year. Because she was also in the film that uh, watched for Oscars, Seventh Heaven, yeah. Yeah, she won for that one. Because she was the... Wasn't she the woman that... Um, was like, the guy was like, oh, you can stay with me for a little bit. Yes. Yeah, that was her. So what you're saying is she was typecast as a sex worker. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because in that film, she was assumed to be a sex worker and got in trouble. And in this film, she tries, she tries to, to be, be a sex worker fails. for about 15 seconds. Yep, and fails. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, Charles was also in Seventh Heaven. I believe he was the leading actor in that, too. Was he? I believe so. Hmm, I don't remember. Um, well, Street Angel, uh, to give the cliff notes before deep diving, is essentially a, a woman has, uh, is living with her, like, mother who's, yes. like, essentially dying or very ill and requires medication. And she doesn't have the money to pay for it. And she has seen this other woman who's bringing home gentlemen all the time and has money and everything like that because she's a sex worker. Uh, and she goes out and, like, I think propositions... Two men yep. over about 15 seconds. Yep. Just kind of like, hey, how's it going? Hey, hey, hey. And they just ignore and walk away. And she's like, well, this isn't working. And then she sees a man got like got his change from paying for like his lunch or whatever. And she runs up and tries to grab it. Turns around. And runs into a cop. And there's two cops. <laughs> uh, and then the whole movie ends up becoming like she's being tried for essentially, you know, solicitation and theft. Even though I'm like. It, it, it lasted for 15 seconds, but whatever, I'll get to that in a minute. Then uh, she is able to escape before they get her to jail. She runs away to join the circus. Yes. And then meets her love. And then at the time, while they're like starting their life, she's trying to hide this history of what, you know, have, trying to hide from the cops. That's like the basics, basic synopsis of Street yes. Angel. 
Um, it was roughly the same story as Seventh Heaven. Very close. There, were, I don't think there was a circus part of Seventh. There Heaven, wasn't but. a circus, but she was hiding <laughs> on the lamb. Yes, it's yeah. roughly the same story. But the 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 man was in on it that time. Uh, yes, he was. Um, but like you mentioned, she played roughly the same character. Yeah. So <laughs> the movie kind of opens up and I just, I, this is another time I'm probably going to constantly be writing down stuff that like makes me laugh in some of these older movies. All of a sudden this guy's like circus vagabond. You stole my sausage. I was <laughs> <laughs> just like, what the, like that's how the movie opens it, it started, up. started. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently like I just like stole some dude's sausage and was like trying to run away with it. And then he called him a circus vagabond, which find out later he's part of the circus. Mm hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, I was just like, Well, he pulled it okay. out of his pocket and had a big-ass bite taken out of it. Yeah. And then they got into a fight, and then he, one, the shop owner pushed the guy and broke his drum. And Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, so it, it goes from that little fight up to, uh, the mother part, where that doctor's there. Mm -hmm. uh, and he said how she needs a prescription, and it'll be, uh, 20 lire. Uh, and I actually went ahead, and I was like, I was curious. I looked this up. 20 lire in 1928 uh, is equivalent to $12.70 today. Okay. So the prescription was $12.70. And she did not have that much money to pay for prescription and turned to sex work for $12.70. Yes. And that was her first thought. Like, there was no one she could have potentially looked to borrow something from or look for help in any other way. I need $12.70. I'm going to go get some dick in me. <laughs> and I just got red flagged. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you may want to bleep that out on the... You you can you can curse on these. Eh, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> um, um, I, I mean, like, but the thing is, like, there's nothing wrong with sex work. It just seemed that odd to me that that was the first thing that popped in her head. Do you get twelve dollars and seventy cents? Again, we're—I don't know. I'm guessing, but maybe they didn't have a whole lot of friends. They didn't have any family. I mean, you saw what they were living in. They—they they were yeah. living in squalor. Um, but I mean, it's not like okay. What's a quick way that I can make any kind of money? Yeah, but even in that scenario, I think like my first thought would even be if I had nobody to turn to, nothing. My first thought would be to beg. Maybe. My first thought wouldn't be sex work, but uh, again, I, I, I don't know. She, I just that like, just like seemed you said, odd she, that she that was saw the, the lady thought. that that had the flashy things and yeah. had the money. Like I need, I need money now. What's the quickest way to do it? Yeah, no, I get that. Just something about that just stuck out to me that that was her first thought. But so she solicits two different guys yes. in the matter of a few seconds because she just kind of walks up like, hey, hey, how you and, doing? And, hey. But and there was no solicitation. She was just saying hi. Yeah, yeah. She didn't <laughs> do anything. She wasn't just like, hey, you want to go upstairs and pay me money for like, like, no, none of that. I mean, but again, it's a silent film, so maybe you have to assume that was said when she was just going, hey, 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 you mm -hmm. know. Um, and then <laughs> the fact that she tries to steal that guy's change turns around and bumps into two cops. Uh, so arrested essentially while trying to steal, but I, <laughs> I thought this was like bullshit. Cops are never around when you need them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. Uh, but she like runs away immediately, and she's getting around corners, and the the cops are chasing her, right? And it's not like they're chasing her and constantly have her 
like in line of sight and they're just going every turn and seeing her at the next turn they get to somewhere and she's not there and they're just like uh she went that way and then chase after her. these cops must have been batman because <laughs> the fact that they can't even see her anymore yet somehow know exactly where she went i'm like that was my first thought i'm like they're the greatest detectives on the planet probability i don't know <laughs> follow the footprints <laughs> so and then they just they found her too easy for me but then i was like ah Maybe not, because then they suddenly lost her when she hid in a circus drum. Yeah, but there was... As they're standing right there talking to them. Well, the the dude was standing in front of her, and they had a monkey that saluted them. They're like, oh, that's super cute. Anyway, let's move on. Yeah, she she hides in the drum that was broken during the fight when he stole a sausage. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's, um, that's fortuitous, is what that is. So they're they're uh, essentially Batman until you bring uh, musical instruments into the case and a monkey. Then they're screwed. Yeah, monkeys and yes. a monkey. I'm sure Batman got uh, you know uh, tricked Bubbles. because of a monkey. Bubbles was very 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 <laughs> tricksy. I don't even know if that was the monkey's name. <laughs> so then it, it like transitioned forward however much time, and she's part of the circus, and. Um, I, I'm going to say something very man-focused for a second, uh, because the director chose to reveal her new job by having a close-up of her legs and pantyhose and slowly scrolling down her legs. And I, I was like, nice legs. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's attractive. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's no wor- it's no... Different than Tarantino with his foot shots and shit. True. True. It's just... And I'm not saying like it shouldn't have been there. It just... My thought was just like, oh yeah, we're watching this movie. And I was like... Nice. That's nice. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Another thing that I thought was funny. I was talking about Batman. So let's stick with DC for a second. Uh, When we first get introduced to that painter, which is uh, Gino. Mm -hmm. uh, they, They showed him and he's all like standing there. And he's like, you know, got the squared jaw and the camera angle. Dude looked like Christopher Reeve. I was thinking, I'm like, that is like predate Superman right there. Yes, yes, by about sixty-ish years. But to me, I'm like, he looked the part. He could have been like Christopher Reeve's real grandfather or something. Yeah, he, I'm was, like, he was a very, very striking-looking fellow. Yeah, it just a few angles I just couldn't help. It's like that. That makes me think him. But um, <laughs> and actually, so she's part of the circus now, and she's essentially like a. I would, I'm going to say acrobat loosely because every time it shows her do her act, she's just being held in the air. By a strong man. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess this painter was taking too much attention away from the circus. Uh, and so she went over to yell at him like, you know, those are our patrons. They need to come back and watch us what, and pay wasn't us. Wasn't he just like petting a goat? Like he wasn't actually painting anything. Yeah. He was just petting a goat. Yeah. And <laughs> that, that's how striking he was. Just petting a goat. He's like, I want to watch this man. Well, I, I, they're just like, this is a goat. And then she gets all mad at him. And then like they, they yell and then she goes back and well, the crowd follows her to go do her little strongman mm-hmm. thing. And then he walks up and just kind of stares at her and smiles and then is mauled by a bear. <laughs> right here literally he's like uh, to me i'm like the director director's like all right stand there and let this bear attempt to eat you (laughs) 
Because he's just standing there watching her, and there's like this little bear cub, and it's like literally like trying to bite it's, his it's leg like on the side of his on. face and stuff. I'm like, yeah. This, this seems dangerous. And he just has to sit there like, oh, it's okay. She's so beautiful. And I'm just like, that bear is trying to kill you. <laughs> He's like that. That bear is hungry. Yeah, and you're I, there. I, I mean, I, I get like petting zoo, like exotic animals, but no, he's standing there, and then the bear is trying to maul him. Yeah, I literally wrote here: stand here and let this bear cub attempt to eat you. Action, action. <laughs> I literally wrote that. All right, down. pretend you're dinner. Go. Oh <laughs> uh, God. Um, and then later on, like I felt so. You know, there she's no longer performing, and he goes up. He wants to meet her. And to me, I was like, it was a... <laughs> I remember it. <laughs> As I'm talking, I need to actually refill my drink. Oh, damn. Um, I felt there was a... This may have had some of the uh, inspiration for Titanic. Because he's literally like, I want to paint you. <laughs> <laughs> paint me like one of your Italian girls. <laughs> uh, but Oh, that, was, man, that went a little strong. Yeah, that is a little strong. <laughs> Never pour your own drinks, because they always end up getting stronger the more you go. Or I think it's more, uh, don't pour your drinks while you're looking this direction and just oh, pour yeah. it. I'll just have a splash of Pepsi. <laughs> Might want to sip, work on that one for a little liquor, while. Liquor, 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 Pepsi. Yeah. Here's a little splash. But no, I just thought that was funny, because he's just like, I want to paint you. Uh, and... <laughs> So she's like, I'm not interested in you. I want nothing to do with you. Go away, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I want to paint you. And suddenly she's like, okay. Really? <laughs> uh, and that was right around the time that, like, so she was living with this other couple uh, that's part of the circus. Mm -hmm. And they start getting, like, frisky and know she's there. And they're essentially, I mean, it's a silent film. I don't know exactly what they said. But to me, it was, go outside because we're going to fuck. Uh, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was it was somewhere in that range. <laughs> so she's standing outside so they can do whatever they're doing, and that's when he was just like, I want to paint you. Let me paint you. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I guess. Creeper. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, so that's around the first time we actually hear this song um, when he's, like, painting her and stuff. Uh, this little whistled song. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And she's yeah. like, you're always whistling that. And I'm like, that's the first time we've heard him do that. <laughs> Shouldn't you have had him do it earlier? Maybe and he, then again? Maybe he was while he was being mauled by the bear. Ma perhaps. Maybe. Perhaps. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to re reference the bear <laughs> a lot. <laughs> it's an excellent TV show, by the way. I've heard that. I don't know what oh, it is, amazing. but I've heard it's great. I, I heard somebody talking about that recently. It's so absolutely that. amazing. I'll have to look into that. Um, so, you know, he paints her, and then all of a sudden, apparently, you know, you paint a woman, instantly she's in love with you. Yes. She wants nothing to do with you, but the second you put paint to canvas... Because he, <laughs> he made her look angelic, even though she felt horrible. She didn't have that type of self self worth, mm -hmm. and he's like, "This is how you." Because look. she spent fifteen seconds as, as a streetwalker, yes, sex worker, fifteen approximately fifteen <laughs> seconds. But no, she she looked at like I mean, she had terrible self esteem, self worth, yeah. and then he's like, "This is how you look to me." Ding. So that's what, gentlemen, that's what you need. You want a woman to fall in love with you, just go paint some great picture of her or pay somebody else to do it and say, this is how you look to me, and just make her look gorgeous because apparently the, paint equals love. If Titanic taught us nothing, paint equals love. No, a, a door <laughs> means love. 
Oh God. No, it's that's that's how I took that. Like it was wow, someone actually sees me for better than I think I of myself. Yeah. And I mean that's that can be pretty powerful in some cases. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I wasn't looking at it that way. I was literally just looking like you paint somebody and they love you. Yeah. Well, there's there's a, you know, there's a little little bit of a deeper meaning there. I I felt. Yeah. No, no, I mean, that that's probably the way they were trying to say. Uh speaking of deeper meaning, um and how I like just notice random stuff in movies. Um I'm curious if because her mother died, uh she wasn't able to get medicine for her. Um, and then had to go on the lamb. Uh, I'm curious if she hates doctors because she's always eating apples. May- well, every hmm. time she was in a scene, she was eating a fucking apple. <laughs> I, I'm trying to. So you mentioned the the doctor thing, right? And I had this 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 thought. Um, so she went out, got busted for attempted solicitation for all of 15 seconds, right? And she breaks out of jail and then goes home and her mom is passed. Yeah. And then she just leaves. What happened to mom? Strong. <laughs> did they did they did, I mean, did anybody come by to to, you know, probably not. I they just left her? That's I guess. Wow. I, I like I was thinking there there was something that just popped into my head like they never they you know, they did their thing, and then off she's off in the circus. I don't know. It's, it's a weird, weird thought I have. Yeah, you're you're gonna want to water that one down a little bit. <laughs> I hit that one. I was like, "Ooh, that's Ooh a, wee." It's good anyway, stuff. it's good stuff. Anyway, sorry um, about that. Sorry for no, 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 no the conversation. It was um, a thought I had. <laughs> well, uh, at some point, so she's doing um, her little like acrobatic routine. Uh, but she's like way up on like stilts or something. Yeah. Uh, which the stilts thing threw me because like it was very like, clearly somebody's just holding sticks and tap because it's showing that from the downward point of view, looking at the bottom of the stilts is like she's stepping onto a table and it's like doop, doop, doop. I'm like, nobody can move a stilt that freaking quick if they're that high up. No. And she's like doop, 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 doop. And then she's up on a, a table. Yeah, was a table like held up by like bowling pins or something, wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then while up there, she sees two cops and panics that she remembers. From her uh, escape, escape, from her escape from, you know, when which she was is fantastic because those cops are like those two cops police the entire country. I'm telling you, they're Batman. <laughs> it's Batman and Robin, Cause, literally. Because they started in Naples, right? Mm hmm. And they were out on God the road, knows where. Yeah. And the same two cops just happened to be there talking to, you know, what's his name? Charles? Or no, Gino, Gino. Yeah. Um, and she freaks and, and falls. falls. Yeah. And then, like, breaks her ankle. Yes. Um, and so, because of that, you know, Gina's like, oh, I'm going to take her to a doctor in Naples. And I'm like... Right back to where we started. So, in other words, you're going to get that foot sawn off. Because it seemed like it was a long road back to Naples with a broken foot. That's why I was like, the, the same two cops are just out in, you know, the middle of nowhere on the seaside. Yeah. And then they follow them back to Naples... And they come across them again. Like yeah, the- yeah. So that's <laughs> that, that's a good point because so they get back to Naples, um, and he uh, for some reason like her foot suddenly just randomly heals because you know reasons. They they, um, they did show her with a with a cane. Yeah, I mean, 
Yeah. I mean, if, if you break your ankle and it doesn't heal right, yeah, I get that. But yeah, they, they showed her with walking around with a cane after that. Yeah, that's true. But I, I this like stuck out to me. I was like, oh, isn't this true? So he decides to sell the painting he did uh, of Angela uh, to get some money because he's not getting any work. And the, the guy that's wanting to buy it is essentially like, you know, eh, it's okay. I'll give you a few pennies kind of thing. And he had no choice. Like, I need money. So he sold it. And as soon as he leaves, the guy's like, all right, we're going to turn this around. I'm going to make thousands. Yeah. And I'm like, dick. Flipper. <laughs> I was like, that, that, that stuff still holds true today. I'm going to tell you it's not that great because I know you're down and out and you need money. So I'm going to give you pennies so I can make all kinds of money off. I'm just like, oh, yeah. Oh, so true. Rich people trash. But then he has that money, and instead of going and buying food that they need, he buys her a frickin' flower. Yes. And she was not... I mean, it was nice, but... But I'm like, we're hungry, bro. <laughs> it was like, where's the food? Uh, oh, shit. But then, bringing back the cops. So he uh, brings home that flower, and she's like, where's the food? He's like, oh, I forgot. And so she's going out to get food, uh, and the two cops that patrol all of uh, Italy, um, one <laughs> of them sees super her. cops. <laughs> yeah, Batman They're and Robin. On the beat. So, I mean, so <laughs> Batman sees her. <laughs> well, no, Batman's only in Gotham, right? These guys are countrywide. <laughs> yeah, they're Superman or some shit. I guess. <laughs> uh, but like the funny is, like one of them sees her. And he's like, I know her from somewhere. I know her. Uh, and I'm like, you saw her for a few seconds as you held her arm and then took her to a judge and she ran away. And this was potentially years ago Yeah, that, that you th spent one afternoon for like an hour with her and you remember her? So he's, it's, it's a steel trap. Never forgets a face. So he's an elephant too. Got it. <laughs> Never forgets a face, because, I mean, he's he's the bastion of law enforcement. Oh, God. He can remember every single criminal he's ever arrested. So, yeah, I literally wrote down, like, that woman we saw for five seconds years ago, I found her! <laughs> and saw her hurt herself. Yeah. Because they, they were there on the seaside. Um, but, yeah, so she runs back to their home, and this threw me, I was like... And, and this could be a, like, this was a hundred years ago thing, and a potentially different country, so customs type stuff but i was like aren't they a couple they apparently have separate homes uh she left all the windows wide open and she was like digging up under her dress trying to fix like her stocking or something and they were she was embarrassed to be seen in her uh what i'm saying is knickers i don't know what they would actually be but embarrassed to be seen in her knickers by the guy who she's with huh that may well so hmm I would imagine that was a cultural thing, perhaps. Because um, we don't know how long they've been together. We don't know if, I mean, assuming a lot, maybe it's the whole, like, I'm not going to show him anything until we're married kind of thing. I That would be my guess. Yeah. And, I mean, also, like, I'm, again, weighing it through today's, you know, glasses. Because, like, he saw up to, like, here on her thigh. Yeah. And it was, like, like pantyhose on it. And I'm like, he didn't see anything. And you're like, oh, my God! god and he's like freaking out that he saw her like that i'm like you guys are a couple and yet you live in separate like houses next to each other i i, I was lost maybe they weren't ready for that type of commitment yet 
He was. He painted her. <laughs> <laughs> he was ready to go. Um, and then, of course, so, like, the, the cops figure out, you know, or the cop figure out who she was, and he's coming to get her. Super cop. Um, and when he's knocking on the door, I thought this was actually a really cool shot. Um, they did a close-up of just the door knocker, so you couldn't see who it was, and it just showed, like, a hand yeah, door yeah, knocker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was neat. That seemed, like, almost ahead of its time, based on all the other films we've been watching. That that was neat, yeah. I like that. Um, yeah, today it's like, okay, cool. But I was like, just based when you... If you're watching all these other movies with us, um, it, it stuck out to me. That that was a neat shot. Uh, and then, like, it cut to her and it's like, oh, that's, that's fine. Let me go over and open the door. And then... You just see like the sheer panic, like oh shit, they found me. Yeah. Um. That that sequence was was kind of neat. Um. I, I I liked. I I could see why she she won best actress for. I mean, it was three movies in the same year. <laughs> Those legs alone won her best. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no comment from the peanut gallery. <laughs> um. But no. Um. That that sequence I actually really liked. Um. Yeah. Just and. She had a had a very unique way to emote those kinds of things without being cheesy. I guess is the best way mm-hmm. to put it. Like you you believed like she like oh shit you know what the, it, the reality of the situation just fell on her. Yeah. So no, I, I totally agree. Um, she I actually liked her. Like we we've talked at length at uh, Seventh Heaven. I I didn't freaking like that movie, uh, but I, I liked her in this movie. I felt like they actually got let her do more like i was actually yeah breathe a little bit yeah see why like maybe she was a good actress um but so uh she steps outside with the cop who showed up at her doorstep essentially like hey you're under arrest for solicitation however many years ago uh because wouldn't the statute of limitations run out or did they even have that back then i don't know but i I feel like maybe we should have a, a historian as a guest. <laughs> Who can be we're going like, to bring a guest on to just like, all right, we're going to talk about the movie, and then every time we have a weird question, we're going to turn to you. To so be like, okay, so it's 1928, and the time is Italy. How did this work? <laughs> <laughs> you must know everything. Um, but here, here's something I thought was funny, and I don't know if you picked up on this. So she told the cop, and they're like, you know, oh, just give me an hour. Like, I can't let him know. Because, like, Gino doesn't know that she has this past. Right. Which I say past with, like, very, very heavy, like, quotations. Because I'm just like, seriously, like, she, she didn't work as a sex worker for, like, a long time. She attempted it for 15 seconds. And and failed. Yes. Um, so to me, I'm like, she didn't actually do anything wrong other than, like, attempt something, failed at it, didn't hurt anybody. Leave her alone. Uh, but anyway, so the cop was, like, going to take her in. And she was like, oh, just give me an hour so I can, like, because, like, uh, Gino at this point had proposed. Uh, she's like, just give me an hour. I don't want him to know. I don't want him to know why I left, blah, blah, blah. And I, I'd seen her do this a couple times throughout the film. Uh, but then she was trying to say, like, I promise, you know, I'll come back. You know, I, I won't try to run away again. And she does this where she crosses her fingers and kisses her fingers. I'm curious, like, was that, like, that time's, like, I picky swear kind of thing? I have no idea. I, I really have no clue. Did you even notice that? I did. I noticed it once, but I I thought it was just like there. Yeah, it stuck out to me because she did it a few times throughout the yeah. movie. No, I just saw it one time. I, I thought it was just like their thing or whatever. I don't know if that was like, 
haha, ha, I'm not telling the truth or, or whatever. I, I honestly... Well, see, I, I didn't even take it as that, like, you know, like my fingers across my mouth. I took it as like, almost like, I pinky swear, I promise I'll do yeah. it. Like, it was like, like that. And that's what she kept doing. Maybe, well, I don't, I, I have no clue. Hmm. I really don't. Curious about that. It's, 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 it's worth a quick Googling. Yeah. But, um, so, <laughs> she essentially, like, you know, has dinner with Gino he goes to bed, and then she goes off with the cop. Yep. And he just wakes up, and she's gone. And suddenly, the uh, sex worker that she had seen previously that inspired her uh, showed up and was like all up in Gino's crawl, trying to like get with her, get with him essentially. And he's just like brushing her off, ignoring her. But she goes to prison for a year. It was a it was a work work camp type yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, but I was like prison essentially. But yeah, it's like a work camp where she has to go do stuff. And she's, you know, whistling their song uh, to keep her spirits <laughs> up. Um, and he becomes a murderer. <laughs> um, so you skipped a whole lot. I did, I did. I did that for a reason. <laughs> you skipped a whole lot in there. Um... It, it wasn't like an immediate jump to that. It's just she was gone, and it obviously destroyed him. Um, he had like this this big um, project that he was working on, like a mural in a church or something. Yeah, he got like right before she got arrested. Um, yeah. It was supposed to be like their their big break, and he was going to make all this money and be super famous. And um, when she left, uh, it, he just didn't care anymore, lost his passion for painting and ends up getting fired from that. Um, and just kind of wanders around the mm. dockside. Look, you know, he's like, I'm, he did mention like, I'm going to paint again, but I'm like, all women have like black souls or something. Yeah. Like that. So he's just like, and like paint their, like their dark souls. Yeah. Um, so he's, they were like, well, if you want someone to do that, uh, or if you want someone to look like that, go down by the wharfs. Which like, is where apparently all the sex workers were at. Sex workers, homeless people. Yeah, and he's like, go find one of them and you can paint their dark soul. So yeah, he's wandering around the wharf. It's a foggy night. Well, before we even get to what happens right after the foggy night part. So yeah, he goes down to the wharf. During that time, uh, the other female sex worker had gotten arrested and That's right. met yeah, yeah, yeah. Angela in, in prison, prison or the work yeah. camp or whatever. So she knew where he was. Um, and at some point, you know, she got released. She ran into Gino, um, at like a little cafe or something. I don't remember. Uh, but essentially lets it leak like, you know, oh yeah, you know, she didn't just abandon you. She didn't take off. She was like me. She did. She, you know, was a street angel. She walked the streets and did stuff with guys like me and got arrested for that. Um, and so that kind of was the little like tipping point that kind of like made him drop over is like, you know, she was doing all this stuff. I didn't know about this whole time. Yeah. yeah. Um, even though obviously none of that happened. And then by that point, um, Angela had gotten out of prison work camp, whatever as well. And don't know why, but she was down around those docks too. Uh, just kind of like wandering. And then to your point, Gino's down there, like looking for somebody runs into her. And then like, snaps and then hands around the throat yeah trying to strangle her chasing her through the streets because apparently if you're in love with somebody and they leave you you're supposed to kill them i i don't think it was and um <laughs> so i'm just like what 
He, he again, he's incredibly furious, like betrayed, angry. I get that, but it's like the jumping to I'm going to kill you. He felt uh, he was just in a blind rage. I'm yeah. not defending his actions, um, but it explains like sh- her leaving me has left me in ruin. Yeah. So he's looking for uh, a he's blaming her for all of the problems that he dealt with because she left regardless if it was it was her own volition or not in this case it wasn't but he still blames her for all of that and then like she's you know he's trying to kill her and then they just magically stopped at that display of the painting that he made of her yeah it circles back to that painting. So the, the painting that the guy bought for pennies was going to resell. They painted a bit around it, except left the face as is and put like a little uh, halo on mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Uh, and resold it as almost like this original piece of art, but it still had the face and kind of upper body of mm-hmm. what Gino painted. And to your point, like they were randomly in like a, a church or something. I don't remember. Uh, but he's like looking up at that and seeing that and then seeing her. And it was essentially like, you know, like look into my eyes and he's like staring she like she tells him like like look into my eyes like it's me look into my eyes and then looking into her eyes and suddenly he's just like backs off and he's done mm-hmm. well, so he, like he, he, he like he the has murderous that, rage was gone well he has that moment of clarity yeah. like what am i doing i mean this is not right i'm not this i'm not that guy and then kind of backs off yeah and then like it essentially just kind of ends at that point it, it had already gone for two hours around Something like that, that point, yeah. and it's like, okay, movie's over. I mean, I don't recall... He didn't kill her. Credits. Yep. <laughs> All right. But they're right back to where they started. Yeah. So there was... So this this movie was my pick, and uh, I, I enjoyed aspects of it until it got to the end. Like, I felt like they didn't know how to end the movie. Right. And so they just send him on a murderous rampage... Until he sees the love in her eyes and it cures all. And I'm like, I don't care how mad I am at a woman for leaving me. I'm not going to suddenly be like, kill them all. Like, it it was too far for me. Like, I was fine with him being down and out and him, you know, being wallowing in his, you know, misery and everything. And maybe even when they saw each other again, being madder, like, why did you leave me? What's going on? And everything. But the the strangling part, and I get it, it was a silent film, so like you probably have to overdo things to try to portray what's going on. But that was just like that was a step too far. I, I mean, I I get it. I mean, because we don't know. There there's a lot that they didn't show, in in regards to that. So it's it's it could be explained by he just had a complete mental snap. Yeah. Um. I mean, there have been other stories where something similar has happened and. It ended way more tragically. Um, I could see it, but they just didn't show it. I mean, you can't with, you know. Um, yeah, the movie ended abruptly. And like you mentioned, that there were there were some aspects of this film that I liked, um, similar with Four Sons. Overall, eh, it was okay. Am I going to watch it again? No, probably not. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Um yeah, so moral of the story, she was an attempted sex worker for 15 seconds and her life was a an eternal trying to escape the cops. Because yes. they, they remember everything. 
you cannot escape the long arm of the law in Italy. <laughs> because those same two cops are going to hunt you down wherever you go. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like, I mean, I liked the movie, but yeah, it just felt like they didn't know how to end it. So, moving on, unless there's anything else you wanted to talk about Street Angel, we can go to the highest box office earner for that year, uh, which was The Singing Fool. Nope, I'm, I'm good on uh, Street Angel. Alright, well, let me get this out of the way. It's funny, I'm always going to have notes. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> You're prepared. Uh, okay, so, The Singing Fool... Directed by Lloyd Bacon. 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 I immediately went to Dumb and Dumber, and then I was like, wait, that's Lloyd Christmas. Yes. Um, but Lloyd Bacon with Lord Al... Bacon? <laughs> Lord Bacon? <laughs> Lord Bacon! Lord <laughs> Bacon. Bring to us your pig carcass. Um, sorry. Uh, Al Jolson as Al Stone. Yes, the most creative name for a character ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Betty, it was either Bronson or Branson, I don't remember, but, uh, as Grace, uh, Josephine Dunn as Molly Winter, or was it Winton? Winton. Winton. And Arthur Houseman as Blackie Joe. Yeah. Um. So I'm curious about that. The movie opens with just flashing lights of Blackie Joe. Yep. And I saw that and I was like, what the f- I agreed. Uh, absolutely. I'm like, oh boy. But it ends up being uh, a white dude the whole time. Right, but... But does it... Like, I don't know history. Is that a reference to something? I don't have any clue. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I assume it's just a nickname because of his hair, maybe? That's That's the best I, I, I got. I just know, like, when I when I saw Blackie, I was like... Oh, no, oh, they're not. please, no. Please, no. Don't. <laughs> um, so, I mean, if it's if it's a reference to something else, I don't know. But that was the character's name, and it wasn't. It, it was a white guy, so I don't know if there's anything racial behind it. I hope not. We're we're gonna tread some some. Uh, gonna have to tread carefully on this one. Yes. Um, so for anyone that's wanting to potentially watch this movie, The Singing Fool, um, which was the highest box office earner for 1928. Um, I'm just going to preface this right now. Uh, this movie could be triggering for some people. Uh, uh, with the aforementioned Blackie Joe. But then also, um, a portion of this film does have some, what I will just flat out say, racist elements to it with uh, concerning blackface. Yes. Um, so I just want to make sure anyone that chooses to watch this film... Uh, and wants to follow along with us talking about it is aware of that ahead of time um i'm not condoning anything to do with blackface but i i just want to make sure you're aware of that before you watch this film if you watch this film so with that in mind <laughs> I, I will admit um since since you mentioned that i i was i didn't know like i knew the main actor al jolson um also performs in the first sound picture called the jazz singer which was released the year before and this was the second movie with sound and it makes it makes sense that it would lead the box office that year because when jazz singer was out theaters didn't have the equipment necessary to you know have audio mm -hmm. through these movies they had made upgrades 
and now everybody wanted to go see what these these talkies were all about. Yeah. Um, when I was watching this movie, and like you mentioned, the the club Blackie Joe's popped up. I like this can't no really. Yeah, I was like, please no. Please. And it, it it wasn't like I mean I I'm assuming it's because the character had black hair. Yeah. But um, then you mentioned the blackface at the. I didn't know that was there. Yeah. Um, well, well, let's just start at the yeah, beginning, we'll, we'll and we'll there. talk about that. When we yeah, get we'll there. get there. Um, so uh, essentially, this has uh, starts off at uh, Blackie Joe's. Yep. <sighs> Even just saying that. Uh, um, yeah, we'll, we'll just say Joe's. We'll just say Joe's going, going forward. forward. Yes. Yeah. I don't. I don't um, like it. Yeah. No. So. Started out at Joe's, and uh, Al is a waiter there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's Joe's is a like a, a nightclub kind of thing. Uh, people having dinner, listening to a band, and uh, Al's there. And I was curious about this, like right near the very beginning when they kind of like reveal him. I'm guessing he was like a big name at the time or something. He, he was. Because he of the way they revealed him. There's a guy walking... Uh, out from the back room and walks through some tables uh, to the, the center of the room and places a table. But as he's walking, he has the table like this, and from essentially mid-chest up, his whole face is blocked, and there's no way he could see where he was walking. Nope. So I'm curious, how many takes do you think that took <laughs> before, before he was able to walk through there and not bump into stuff? I, I'm going to say maybe three. <laughs> Um, but yes, Al Jolson was a very, very big name at the time. Um, he was a very big uh, Broadway guy. Okay, I figured he must have been because as soon as he put the table down, he's like, yeah, it's, and he just like uh, focuses on his face for a while because like I was like, this reveal must mean something. Yeah, he, must he, be a he big was name. very big name in Broadway. Okay, that would make sense then. Um, and so right at the beginning, you know, they're they're in that nightclub. He's a waiter, mm-hmm. uh, and part there's comedian, part singer. Yeah, <laughs> part comedian, part singer. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but his main job is a waiter, and he sees a woman kind of like the cigarette girl being harassed by a guy. And he runs over there and like saves her real quick by like, you know, jumping in there, like, oh, everything okay? And he like stomps on his foot and acts like it was an accident. She rushes away, and you know, as he's like there, he dumps the guy's beer in his lap. He's like, oh, you know, I'm sorry. I, mean, I actually I thought that was that was funny. <laughs> I, I did, and I, I was like, oh, like he's, you know, an upstanding guy. He's trying to make sure that, you know, a woman's not taken advantage of. And then right after that, he goes into the dressing room and makes a woman feel uncomfortable as he's rubbing her shoulders and professing his love to a woman yeah, it was not nothing so to do much. with him yeah that that was uh i was like mm, you can't show me that this guy's like a savior and he's gonna take care of people and not like make women feel bad and then do that yeah that's not cool not like, cool yeah that was a little wrong for me but um so he's professing his love for uh molly who is a, a singer at the club and i guess she there's like a producer there to meet her. That was uh, Mr. Marcus. Mr. Marcus. Yeah, okay. he was big time. Mr. Big Time. Okay. Uh, so yeah, he, like, Al's like trying to show her this song here because he, he's an aspiring songwriter. Uh, and he's like, just read the words. It'll tell you how much I love you. Like, I love you so much. Blah, 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 blah. Um, and she essentially refuses to read it. And she's like, puts a throw the thing on the floor. And she's like standing on it as she's getting ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's just like, you know what, screw this, because apparently he was going on as a stand-up comic in a minute, because, you know, he's a waiter slash stand-up comic slash aspiring songwriter slash, slash womanizer slash woman saver slash... Anyways. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's a man of many hats. <laughs> yes, that's, that's, that's a nice way to put it. Um, but so he uh, essentially says to the 
you know, to Joe that like, hey, I think I think it was Joe, but he's like, hey, I'm not going to do my comedy tonight. I'm going to sing this song I wrote. Uh, and up to that point, it was a silent film. Yep. And then just that's it transitions yep. to a talkie, and he's singing. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like they're just like, hey, like showing that we're we're moving away from silent film. We're going to talkies. Uh, so I thought that was very interesting, but that made me think, and uh, I started like looking stuff up. I guess uh, I, one of the reasons that Hollywood became such a powerhouse in film is because Hollywood um, kind of adopted and accepted the talkies being the next big thing mm-hmm. early on, whereas I guess some other countries were like. Well, no, that, that the idea of talkies it like destroys the the cinematic uh, and artful experience of the silent film, uh, and so like places like Europe and everything delayed adopting you know movies with dialogue because uh, they were saying like the dialogue was a detractor from the art, mm-hmm. and it just made me think. I'm like, you already have plays, and plays had dialogue. This is essentially just a play, but on film. So I'm I'm curious, like. I would love to know what the holdup was with the idea of accepting dialogue in film when it's essentially, it's, it's just a play. That's it's, really it's what it is. Traditionalness would be my guess. Um, so I mean, people, plays date back well before silent ab- film. Yes, absolutely. But it's, some people do not like change whatsoever. Yeah. Um, they, they, they have their, their art form, in this case, silent film. And if, if any changes or upgrades start to come out, they don't want anything to do with it. Just yeah. keep things the way they are. I, I, I knows what I likes, end quote. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, it just, it just made me think when I was doing that. So, transition to a talkie. Uh, and he's like singing and whatnot. And he sings a couple songs. And then uh, Molly is taking credit for his work. She's like, oh, yeah, like I'm the one that inspires him. I'm the one that helped him, you know, get to where he is to be able to write all these songs and blah, 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 blah. Um to the, the, the producer that she was meeting that was there to see her initially. And then he's just like, oh, you know, Al's amazing. He needs to, you know, be having all this work and have shows and all this stuff. Uh, and then it jumps four years into the future, where at that point Al was like a big name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Molly was also kind of big, but she's like riding Al's coattails. Well, she was, she was on Broadway and, at that time. Yeah. Yeah, but like it, it did that transition like four years later, and it showed like all these different covers of all this Al stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and then all of a sudden it was like, and also here's the thing for Molly Winter. Right. So it just it played to me like Al was the big name, because it even said like the thing that Molly was on Broadway, and it's like you know lyrics and song <laughs> by, by, by Al Stone. Stone. Yeah. yeah. So like she was just like along for the ride and using him to kind of puff up herself, but by that point like they were married, I guess they had a kid. Mm-hmm. That kid was very much older than three years old because if it's four years later, had to be a three-year-old kid. But obviously, you know, they couldn't necessarily bring a three-year-old kid into act. Um, to me, that kid had to be at least like five or six, but I could be wrong. <laughs> uh, you know, it's neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> what threw me is like, so as he leaves to go to be a big name, like Grace is like all in love with him. And I was like, another fucking love triangle, whatever. Like every movie back then has to have that, um, but he's doing his shows and everything, and he's trying to calm the crowd down. And this stuck out. He said, "Wait a minute, a lot." A lot. Yeah. 
wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh yeah, no, no, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, so it's great, but but wait a minute, wait a minute. And like she's like, Jesus Christ, you sound like an old carnival barker. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh man, but uh, so at that point, you know, he's he's a big name. He's he's waiting for his wife to come in because she he saves the table for her uh, at you know where he's at mm-hmm. um, every single night. And there's some guy that she's essentially having an affair with. Yeah. Some, some uh, that, dude. Yeah. I, I, I didn't catch, like, what he was supposed to be. He's essentially the guy that, like, takes care of her while he's while Al is working. But I'm like, why do you need a guy to take care of her while you're working? Like, that part, I didn't understand. Maybe he was, like, a, a family friend or something. Like, you know, taking, you know, uh, helping her out when I'm out on the road or I'm out busy or something like that. Something like that would Maybe. be my guess. I don't know. Um but so she starts transitioning away from being with him to to be being with Al rather to be with this other man and at one point just gets decides to just like take their kid and run away yep uh and they're getting what they they're like I'm going to get a a Paris divorce so I had to look that up um and so you might have other information on that but I guess based on what I was reading it seems like it was fairly difficult to get a divorce in america during those times because now how they have like medical tourism and everything like that right now because of how the medical industry is in america they had divorce tourism people would literally during the 20s fly to france to get a divorce huh because i guess it was so much easier to get it done i figured that would only qualify for like french citizens but i may i don't know that's interesting from what i was reading that that was a thing like Hmm. there was divorce tourism huh where you go over there get a divorce and then come back well i'll be damned so i'm guessing it was just easier at that time um so i thought that was interesting because it literally said like you know i'm going to get a paris divorce and then he calls her after reading that in the paper and he's like are you really going to get a paris divorce and she's like yep and so i was like what the hell's a paris divorce and so Hmm. that's what made me look that up uh fuck molly by the way um (laughs) yeah like so i mean i get it if you're not in love and you you want to get divorced like you know to each their own like you're doing what you're doing um but the fact that you latched on to al because you saw he was going to be a star yep married him and had a kid just so you can make yourself a bigger star yep and then take his kid run away with his kid and go get a divorce and don't essentially prevent him from being able to spend time with his son anymore yep as a father i took major offense to that the idea that you know the man has no rights as a father to a child i was like again i know this is a hundred years ago well even still that's that's still not acceptable back then it's just it was a total power play and 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 she was a horrible horrible person yeah it it, it bothered me so much seeing that i was like um but that aside <laughs> moving on <laughs> so um by that point like when they were about to get a divorce all of a sudden it transitioned over and it was showing like dialogue boxes again it went back to silent film mm-hmm. and i was like oh this is actually doing something that i i think could be very very interesting if this is the way the director took it um i'm gonna place a pin in that for a second uh so He's now down, you know, in despair because, you know, he lost his marriage. He lost his son. Uh, and he's, he, has, he has no passion for singing yeah, anymore. Doesn't want to do anything. Exactly. Like deep depression. Does He gets out of his contract from where he's working because he's just like, I can't do this right now. Um, 
and then eventually, however much time down the road, uh, he goes back to Joe's, uh, and he's just like hanging out out front, like debating whether to go inside. And Joe and like some like bouncer or whatever kind of spot him. And at first, thinking like he's casing the joint, like maybe he's gonna, yeah, they thought they like, were gonna rob, rob the place. Him. Yeah, uh, and they realize, oh, it's Al. Uh, and they like invite him in for dinner, and he's like, "Oh, I'm not hungry." And then he just like tears up the food. That was a that was a big ass steak. Too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm curious whether that was like he was just eating his feelings, or it was like maybe he was like down and out on money because right before she takes off, he said how much debt he was in because she was spending all his like, money. Yeah, he, was, he was broke. He was flat broke. I, I for that scene, I took it as he wasn't eating his feelings. He was actually starving. Yeah. Like he, but he didn't want to. To tell his to, friend to that accept, he needed food, you yeah. know, any any sort of like uh, charity or anything else like that. Yeah. Like, hey, let me get you some dinner. Like, oh, I'm not hungry. I'm good. Well, that's fine. You can watch me eat then too. And yeah. like, well, yeah. Then he snarfed down that steak. Probably the first meal he had in two days. That might be. Uh, I mean, and that might be it. Because I was like, I could see it being either way, or even both of them. Because um, you know, he he was no longer working, so he was just he was already in debt to begin with, and now he's not making any money. Right. Um, so then he uh uh joe tells grace to go like hey al's here go go cheer him up go say hi and then all of a sudden it transitioned back to a talkie again Mm -hmm. and he's there singing and she's in there like trying to to you know cheer him up and say like hey you should really get back to singing it'll probably make you feel better and whatnot uh and then that's exactly what happens. Like he he decides to start singing again, and all of a sudden his career takes off. Yeah, he uh, rekindles that, and he's right back to stardom. Exactly. Um, but then, as he's about to do a show, he uh, was going through like a bunch of messages he had, and he kept having a uh, a message from this hospital for a specific like room five hundred eight. I think it was. Yeah, it was Pres- Presbyterian Hospital uh, sounds right. The, the exact hospital I don't remember, but I uh, I do know it was a hospital, and they're yeah, getting the, the and he's name like, doesn't matter. Yeah, and he's telling Grace, who's like with him now, um, or at least like always with him. I don't know if they were actually a couple or not. Um, but like, do we know anybody in the hospital? She's like, I have no idea. Uh, and they get another message while he's in the dressing room. Come to find out, his son is in the hospital. Mm-hmm. He's very very sick. Yeah, and then it, uh, then um, he you know goes off to. The hospital to see his son right uh and at that point like you know he, he he has a moment with his son he sings sunny boy which is something he kept singing to his son over and over that was a very popular song was it after this movie it, actually it was in um it was on like top record charts mm-hmm. um they used to sell it in phonograph form so people could listen to that in like uh phonographs and uh like player pianos that type of stuff. They still had some of those around. That was something I saw looking this movie up after the fact. Okay. But yeah, it was a very, very popular song. Okay. Um, that makes sense. Uh, but that's what he kept singing to his son all the mm-hmm. time. And then after he sings it to his son, his son goes to sleep. He puts him back in the, the hospital bed. His son dies. Uh, and then he has to go back and perform like Sonny to a crowd. Cause that's his like hit number they're expecting to see. Excuse me. I, I what I want. Sorry. I don't know. Um, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm sorry. Um, for that scene, I thought they had an entirely other number planned for him to sing, and and he chose to do that song instead. 
Uh, no, he actually begged not to do that song. Uh, well, I thought he didn't want to sing like at all. Well, he didn't want to. So, um, like I just watched it this morning. Um, so yeah, and your your memory. Yeah, so it's a little, a little fresher for me. Fresher. But no, like the um, Grace tried to get him out of being able to sing, but he okay. was like, "No, I'll be able to do it." And Grace like ran up to the stage manager, like, "No, no, like don't let him. He he can't sing. He just dealt with his son dying." And he's like, "I'm just the stage manager. My job is to make sure the show keeps going on." Right. Uh, and he I came up, yeah. and uh, Al was like, "Please, I don't want to sing that song uh, because you know it's so dear to me and my son, and he just died." And he's like, "But this is your hit number. This is what everyone's expecting." So the the live band literally played through the whole song, and Al never walked out. Uh, and he's like, "You've got to play that song. That's what everyone's expecting." So that's when he walked out. He was like. Play, play, play that number again and so he sang sunny boy because of that okay so that makes what happens during the much much worse yeah so he was forced to sing this song that he always sang to his son because that's what he was supposed to do like for the i show. i interpreted it as, as like a, a sweet moment like you know he's obviously reeling he's he's hurting yeah like he he dealt with the emotion as he was singing that yeah, song but, like, but he didn't want to sing it it's uh, okay that <laughs> We're we're gonna talk about that in a in a little yeah. bit. Yeah, uh, um, but the reason I ran through the whole film like that and talking about how it transitioned from silent to talking, silent talking back and forth. Yeah. At first, it seemed to me that when he was kind of down and out, it was a silent film. But when he was like seeing like hope and like you know potential to uh, kind of grow his career, like the, the the happy side of life, it was a talkie, and that's what it was at first. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that wasn't would be an interesting storytelling device to me if every time things were going great it was a talkie and then when things were not so great it was a silent silent film yeah and it did that for a while and i was like i like that but then all of a sudden you know while grace was still there and it had transitioned to a talkie again where he's supposed to be like living better it transitioned back to a uh a silent film while they're still in a bit of the happy times Mm -hmm. uh and then also when the portion where his son was sick, it was a talkie, which would have been a down and out and it should have been silent. Right. So I was like, it, I don't know if they were intending to try to have that thing that I thought they were doing. Uh, and then it just fell apart. Or if that was just a happy accident leading up to I it. Because was, like, yeah. I thought that was really cool until right at the end when it started flip-flopping and doing the wrong version. Yeah, I, I think that was just a happy accident. I don't think that was that was intentional. Um, that would have been cool, yeah. Um, as as a as a narrative device, but I, I yeah, I, I don't, I don't think that was intentional. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice if it was, and if they stuck to that, because I think that was interesting. Um, it also never says what Sonny died from, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I, really I, I know it doesn't, matters. but I'm just, it, it almost played off like the way they did it, like he died from not having enough of his father's love around or he, something. He, he and died I was like, from he died from bonitis. Bonitis. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, Sorry, I had to bring a little so, no, you're good. gravity so, to the situation. So transitioning to when he had to go and that last scene where he had to go sing Sunny Boy. Mm-hmm. So before I had even seen the film, all I knew of it is I had seen one screenshot where, here's where we get into it, um, 
Al was in blackface. And I was yeah. like, oh my God, this is... And like, we've we've committed to watching, you know, the top box office winner, and this is what it was. Yep. Like, if I had known what it was going into it, I wouldn't have chosen to watch it, uh, just for the fact that I think that's offensive. Um, and I'm sure many people, I would hope, would it's agree. It's incredibly offensive. But uh, based on us choosing to do the top box office winner, that it was does. it. So to stick with the format, we chose to go ahead and watch it anyway. Um, the part that bothered me even, well, not more, but like, if the whole time he had been, when he was performing, he had been performing in blackface, I would have been like, I don't like that, but I get it. But the whole, get it in the sense that like, that's what they did the whole movie, so that's why it was at the end. But the whole movie, he was performing as himself. Correct. There's no blackface in the entire film until you get to the very end. And then it literally shows him applying it. And I immediately just went like, what the hell? I I, I was... So I, I knew that Al Jolson had, um, had made a career doing blackface performances before he was in movies. Um... I wasn't. I didn't know this was one of those movies that he performed that with. Um, and I recall I was just sitting on my couch watching the movie, like, okay, okay, okay. And then he starts rubbing the the burnt charcoal on his hands, and I'm like, oh no, please no. Yeah. And then he starts rubbing, like, oh man, and that uh, this is horrible. And just the rest of the movie, I was like physically uncomfortable yeah, watching this. Too. Like this is this is hor- I hate this is not cool. I don't like this at all. Yeah, like I, it, it was after we had already been like, oh, we're going to watch this movie that I just happened to see an image of. And I was like, oh my God. Um, and then like we went the whole movie and it wasn't there. And I'm like, okay, maybe that had nothing to do with this movie. And it just like was there on the wrong thing when I saw a picture of it. So I was like, it's going through the whole thing. Yeah. And then he gets to his last performance and he's in blackface. And I'm like, why? There's no reason that he couldn't have just been himself again in that last performance. Because right. up to that thought. point, I was like, actually, this movie's not that bad. I get why people went to go see it. And then that happened, and it just all fell apart for me. It, it's, um, I was trying to, make, to remain objective, because we've, we've talked about this a bunch, where we're, we're viewing 100-year-old movies through, through, today, yeah. through today's cultural standards and norms. Um, blackface is horrific. It's not cool in any facet whatsoever. With that in mind, it was way more common back in the 1920s. And that's, and I do want to preface this that, um, Al Jolson was a huge civil rights advocate. Um, he was a proponent of civil rights. He used his Broadway name to, um, get African-American plays onto Broadway when they would not have done so otherwise. Um, it's very recognized. With African-Americans actually playing it or no, with like people their, in their music, like their music and plays that they wrote, okay. um, they wouldn't have been picked up by Broadway otherwise. But he put his name behind it, and then they started getting their, their works picked up, which I, I, after I saw this movie, I'm like, this can't be right. So I started looking more into his past. Or his his history, and he was a very very big civil rights advocate, which was awesome for that time frame because this mm-hmm. was forty years before the Civil Rights Act. Yeah. Um. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Um. But to go back to the movie that um as far as this movie, I again I like I knew it was a thing. I I knew it was a thing that they did. But even just watching it, I'm not comfortable with it, and I don't like no. it. It's not acceptable under any circumstances. But again we're trying to view 
those things through today's lens versus what it was then. Back then, it was a different story. It's not acceptable now. Yeah, and it's one of those things that is like what I was talking about earlier, like that difficult kind of discussion of stuff when yeah. you're on the different sides and it's, it's more gray than black and white. Right. Historically, this was the box office winner for the 1928 films, and it's one of the first talkies. So historically, it has significance. But at the same time, it has a man in blackface, which today is like, like you said, it's, it's horrific and horrible. Like that we that anyone did that. Do you get rid of all copies of the movie so we don't have to look at it, or is that destroying history? And is it better for us to look it in the face, like we had to do, and actually watch this film and see the things that we've done back then that we don't want to repeat? Right. You you can only. You, you have to learn from history. Otherwise, you're doomed to make the same mistakes yeah, over and, if, and over and again. if you get rid of these films, you, you can't learn from history by being able... Because you can't see it. Yeah. I mean, the, the movie... The cinema that we love started with silent movies and transitioned into sound movies. The first one was another Al Jolson picture, The Jazz Singer. That was the first movie with sound. You have to look at it from a historical perspective. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I mean, it's again, these acts are wrong and horrible, but you have to look at it from a historical perspective. That it it went from silent movies to sound movies, and this is where it started. Yes, there were uh, aspects of it that were that are not acceptable under any circumstances, but that's that's how it was at the time. And then you kind of go from there. Yeah, I wouldn't want to. You have to understand that this is how, again, I keep restating the same things, but this is how it was, and you learn from it, but you can still look at it as, as a historical uh, as a historical thing. Yeah. You have to look at it, like, just like you said, like it's a historical thing that we want to be able to see so that we can learn from it and not exactly. do it again, uh, but not necessarily sensationalize this thing. Um, cause I'm equating it to like some of the, uh, the monuments to like Southern soldiers and everything like that, that right. have been getting taken down. We're not, you don't want to destroy the history cause you want to still know the history, understand the history and learn from it. So you don't repeat said history, but we don't need to glorify it with statues. monuments to right. it. Right. Yes. So, yeah. the, the Confederate statues, I'm fine with whatever those were all put up in the 19th yeah it just it just made me think the same thing yeah it's like the, destroy all those whatever um but this yeah keep these around and learn i mean if you want to learn about confederate history fine go to a museum yeah you don't need to glorify this and Correct. like the movie was fine up until that yeah like if they hadn't have done blackface and had just had him out there like i'd be like that I don't fun. have many bones to pick with this movie. It was a good movie. But the second he, st- like, like you said, oh, started rubbing that stuff oh, on his no, hands, and yeah. I was like, oh my god, no. I mean, I could have done without the the Joe's part at the beginning. Well, yeah, that too, yeah. But that was that was a warning, I think, of what was what we were in for at the end. Because, I, yeah. again, I, I knew that this, this was a, a thing that they did around that time frame. But it's the first time I've had to witness it. It's the first time I've seen it outside of a photo. Yeah. And I'm st- I'm still like I don't like watching this. This is not cool. I don't I don't like this. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, with that in mind, 
<laughs> would I recommend this movie? I, I to be honest, I probably won't ever watch it again. Yeah, I won't either. Um, like I said, like if not for that end, I would probably be like, oh yeah, it's a pretty good movie. You should give it a watch. I mean, it's the transition from you know talking to silent and everything, or silent to talking and everything. Um, but I can't recommend anyone watch this movie knowing what's at the end. If if they want to look at it again as a historical perspective type of film just be prepared yeah. that it is there and it is a thing if not i get it but if if that's something that people want to look into they can look at it from that perspective but that that and only that yeah no i totally agree um so street angel the singing fool and the uh four sons uh street ain't or Sorry, uh, The Singing Fool was the top box office winner. Yep. Four Sons and Street Angel were uh, within the top ten box office earners for that year and were just three, ones that we chose. Three and six, respectively. Uh, were they? Okay, I don't remember. Um, out of the three, um, which would you say was your favorite? Out of those three? Um, Out of the three, I'd pr- hmm. I'm <laughs> like uh, I don't know. Um, I I enjoyed Four Sons um, more so than Street Angel, just because it was a kind of a loose rehash of what we'd already seen before. Yeah. Um, Singing Fool again couldn't uh, no. Um, so I'd probably have to say Four Sons if out of those options. Yeah. Um. I will preface that if not for the blackface portion of the singing fool, I would say the singing fool was my favorite, but the fact that that was in there, uh, cause I'm just like, just story wise. Right. Uh, the fact that I was in there when I saw that happen, that just destroyed the rest of the movie for me. Um, so with that in mind, like I would have to go with uh, street angel being my favorite by just, default because that's what's left uh because four sons i had just so many problems with what they did story wise yeah Yeah. so i'm like it could have been so much more than what it was uh and i agree that street angel was uh pretty much a rehashing of seventh heaven but it was movie (laughs) but it was done better it was the same (laughs) damn movie better um and they all came out in the same year i want to say it was directed by the same person so they just took the same script, made some scribbles, and hey, here's a new movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is funny because I I did not like Seventh Heaven at all, but I did I did enjoy Street Angel. I liked that one. Okay, so um, next episode will be we're returning to the Oscars, and we're doing the Oscars from 1929. Uh, the Oscars winner for that year was the Broadway Melody, so we do have to watch that one. And in the Broadway melody, it is a pair of sisters from the vaudeville circuit try to make it big time on Broadway, but matters of the heart complicate the attempt. I'm guessing another love triangle. <laughs> but we'll be watching that. It's a that. very pop. Wow, look at that. 5.6 out of 10. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. Oh, this is going to be great. <laughs> um, so another option is Alibi. And in that, uh, it says here that Chick Williams, a prohibition gangster, oh, rejoins... Oh, that's such a gangster name. Chick, Chick Williams. Williams. <laughs> <laughs> uh, rejoins his mob soon after being released from prison. When a policeman is murdered during a robbery, he falls under suspicion. Um, 
So the gangster took Joan, a policeman's daughter, to the theater, sneaked out during the intermission to commit the crime. Uh, so essentially, you know, he's going to be looked at as the person who did it. But yeah. But he has an alibi. He has an Ooh. alibi. Ooh. Yeah. Then we have the Hollywood Review. We're, we're, it's going to be a while before like we start to see regular sound with movies, I think. Yeah, um, this just says an all-star review featuring MGM contract players. I'm thinking this is a live-type recording show. It's not actually a script-written. It's a variety thing. Sing, talking, singing, dancing. Oh, this is a variety show. This yeah. is bullcrap. <laughs> so probably... <laughs> this isn't a movie. <laughs> the Hollywood Review of 1929. Why does... Why, no, we're not watching that. Uh, then we have, in old Arizona, a charming, happy-go-lucky bandit in old Arizona plays cat and mouse with the sheriff trying to catch him while he romances a local beauty. Oh, fancy. Written hey, hey, by hey. O. Henry. <laughs> o. Henry. <laughs> um, and then the other option would have been The Patriot, but that's... Uh, it's, I mean, it's gone. It's, it's gone. There are so many films from way back then that it's just like, there's there's nowhere to, to find it. So, um, my thought is, since we can't watch The, pa- watch the Patriot... I would say, let's skip the Hollywood Review, because it's not actually a film. It's not a movie. It's, it, it's a variety <laughs> show. I mean, we might as well just go watch like, How that's the an Oscar show. thing? Oh, hmm. Um, S- somebody slipped some, some uh, envelopes full of dollar bills <laughs> on that For one. your consideration. Yeah, for, <laughs> for your consideration. All right. So that means uh, for 1929 Oscars, next episode, we're going to watch the Broadway Melody alibi and in old arizona correct all right so that'll be what we check out next time so until then i'm jeffrey i'm anthony and we'll see you at the movies